Okay, so Technical Tuesday, let's go. Welcome to Technical Tuesday, and uh, I'm going to carry on thinking with you about some stuff that we looked at uh, yesterday. So uh, if you haven't got caught up on yesterday's episode, I would recommend you just uh, jump back and uh, look at Meredith Monday, uh, the episode that should be on your podcatcher from yesterday. Um, But what I want to do, I, I thought this would be better it's kind of a follow-on, but it, it really moves more, I suppose, into the issue of translation and exegesis, and so I think is is well fitted for a um, less for a Meredith Monday and more for a, a technical Tuesday. It does get a little bit technical, so I'll warn you on that. But um, I think it's really interesting, and actually, it affects your Bible translation in every way, and just the, the greater thoughts involved. Um, I think. The basic idea here is that we need to be careful with translation and the way that we, I mean, you know, it really does help that we have a whole bunch of translations to refer to, but we always have to remember that that translation is translating something of an underlying manuscript, right? So there's a different different language under the translation and translators are doing great jobs in bringing forth, the, you know, with the best uh, that they can, uh, the best skills that, that they have, uh, a good, accurate rendering in the target language. So, you know, and often that's very, very difficult and there'll be idiomatic representations of a language that need to come across, uh, not not literally, but in the equivalent form in, in English. And and so it's a very challenging thing. And I, I don't want you to come away from this thinking that I'm knocking English translations or anything like that. Obviously, we all need to be very, very appreciative for that. But that doesn't mean that we turn into some version of King James only, uh, you know, crazy guys. And we just start, you know, thinking that the English kind of supersedes the the original. It doesn't work like that. And one of the things that I think will be a constant tension. I don't think there is really a solution for this, but for you as the the the, the person who is studying the scripture to just be aware of, of this is part of your, your biblical study, um, you have to have not only a few different translations, but you have to have a few commentaries on, on, on the text because what happens is you'll have a team of translators that are working often apart from a, um, a biblical theological framework. Uh, they might come from various uh, denominations or have different theological backgrounds or or perhaps are just not even thinking in terms of theology at all, uh, but more thinking in terms of grammarians or, or those who are translators and doing a good job in translating, but not necessarily factoring in what they're translating into the greater theology uh, involved. When you've already landed at a certain theological position, it becomes beneficial to have at your disposal, a whole bunch of commentaries that will serve you in what you already are convinced is the theological system of the Bible. So you got a guy like Meredith Klein that I mentioned yesterday, an Old Testament scholar essentially, who would have one such commentary available where he's not just looking. I mean, usually these uh, scholars not only have the um, the specified language translation skills in their particular area of domain. So like Hebrew, I mean, of course, Klein would be an excellent uh, scholar of Hebrew as well and 
have every ability to translate it. Uh, and so not only would he be able to keep up with that level of, of, of scholarship, but even further to that, he would have this great big biblical theological framework to draw from. So he's referencing you know, text uh, against another text or seeing things in light of their greater unfolding. And so, you know, that means that you'll have scholars catching angles that translators might not catch. And uh, that for that reason, it's important to just refer to a few different commentaries to see, especially the exegetical commentaries, to, to see what they're, talk, what they're seeing in the actual Hebrew. And th- often it just comes down to some fresh translation. You know, they just want to bring out a certain theological angle, and so they'll they'll just offer a paraphrase or a translation that, uh, and usually you'll see this in most exegetical commentaries, they'll give their own translation, um, and because obviously at that level of depth they start nitpicking and they want to they want to have a certain angle come forward, and so you know it's not that you want to give your you want to fully subscribe to one version of of one translation or one scholar out there, but you just want to have the full array at your disposal. Uh, I think Genesis 3, 8 is a great example of that because we've already mentioned uh, in the previous um, episode that the client sort of takes that, that uh, moment there and, and says, wait a minute, this whole sound of the Lord, that's not just a, that's not just, you know, the sound of someone footsteps in the grass that's that's the sound of the lord you know that is the thing that comes across all throughout the bible and so he's picking that up and he's going let's let's make sure we're working with that paradigm in mind and with that in mind you start seeing some interesting semantic options emerge and what i mean by that is uh within you know you'll have a massive uh, each word will have a whole domain of possibilities and context really has to be the primary determiner of what, what it is that you bring forth. Now, often it'll be a literary context. Often it'll be an um, idiomatic thing that needs to be taken into account. Um, often it'll just come down to translating basics. But often there'll be a theological thing that translators aren't seeing. Um, and so in this instance, um, he begins, he says, listen, you've got this word uh, that the ESV translates walking, God's walking uh, in the garden in the cool of the day. Um, it could also be a translated very easily. In, fa- in fact, I think Furtado, uh, another Hebrew scholar, um, uh, an actual grammarian, um, translates that uh, approaching or, or, you know, not, not walking. God's not a walking, but he's approaching as in the advent of the Lord, right? And uh, that immediately accords with what we said yesterday in that if, if this voice of the Lord is this apocalyptic thing, uh, the sound of the Lord is this day of judgment idea, then his advent seems to fit better as an option in the English rather than walking, um, which seems to you know give almost a, a different picture entirely. But anyways, keep that on, on ice uh, and we'll keep moving forward. Yeah. Um, the, the other, the, the most important thing here is that, is that this uh, expression in the cool of the day, God was walking in the cool of the day, is, is really, that's where it just goes pear-shaped for me. And this is where I think you really need to give some attention to this because the Hebrew word behind, um, I suppose, cool in the English there is, is ruach, which um, I think most will, will know means wind or spirit. You know, it's the same word used uh, when referring to the Holy Spirit or a mighty rushing wind. And often the two are, are um, associated. Think of Pentecost there. 
Um, but again, it's quite tr- uh, striking that the translators would choose the word cool as the English counterpart, which really in no way reflects the, uh, a literal rendering of the original. Um, if, if you're going to just literally, it's in the wind of the day or in the spirit of the day is, is the way that you need to translate that. I mean, the word cool is not really even in the, the semantic domain of, of the word ruach. So it's, it's not a translation at that point. Let's just be honest about that. What you're getting in the ESV and most other uh, English translations are, are better viewed as a translator interpretation. Probably what they're trying to do, as Klein points out, is they're trying to understand the whole thing idiomatically in that maybe this is some lost idiom in the Hebrew language where while the wind is blowing, it probably was a cooler part of the day or there was a breeze. And so they've just sort of jumped a few guns and landed, okay, well, let's just go with cool. But that's a big, I mean, if if there is something important theologically happening here, to jump from the spirit (laughs) to uh, cool is really just uh, missing it entirely. And so there's a, an illustration of, of how this often works. Um, I think that's a good case study for the intersection between the work of translation and the work of exegesis. We should base our theology not on translation alone, but on translation and exegesis and our greater understanding of the Bible. Translation as informed by exegesis is what we want to uh, ultimately land on. This is why I think it is important for, for pastors to, to know Greek and Hebrew uh, as best they can. Uh, the more awareness you have, the better, because it just allows you to move deeply uh, into things like this, which I'm, it's not just that, you know, you want to be, um, uh, you know, just frivolous in, or, or at least, um, you know, overly pedantic. I mean, this is necessary stuff. You want to know that this this translation uh, option exists. Um now, obviously, for a translator, you can see their um, their motive in this. If they're not thinking in theology terms necessarily, to get a phrase like the spirit of the day uh, might seem very awkward. And, and so they're going, well, we've got to do something with that to make it better English. Um, but if you understand it theologically, you don't really care how awkward it sounds because it's one of the most important ideas in the Bible. It's talking about the day of judgment, which is exactly in accord with what we've said prior concerning the the voice and sound, kol adonai, the, the, the sound of the Lord. Um, so I think for me, like one of the things I think, does this bear out? Um, well, maybe that's something to uh, let, to, to move on into whatever Wednesday's with. But but let me just work it out a little bit now and, and uh, we'll see how we go for time. Um, I think probably one of my instinct reactions is to go to the book of Revelation and go, well, you know, that is a book about the end of the world, uh, essentially. So let's see if anything there bears out with what might be the end of the world in Genesis 3.8. Um, and it is interesting that you have... Uh, uh, John opened up essentially in the first chapter saying, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I mean, wow. Uh, and and then the very next phrase there, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Isn't that crazy? So you got the spirit, the day, the call, Adonai, everything, all in that opening chapter, in that one single sentence, in um, in the beginning of a book, on the end of the world. Um, 
it's also, I mean, you've got the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath. There's so much we could say about that in terms of the way this is woven into the fabric of, of John's revelation. The Sabbath reference we know from Genesis and the creation week onwards really signals the fullness of God's view and, and sovereignty over his creation and the way that he, the perfection of his judgment, he looks upon the world. He declares that it's good. He makes his judgment as he uh, as he uh, sees uh, the, the creation. And uh, you have, of course, the, the, the symbolism right throughout the book of Revelation um, where the Spirit's seven acts of seeing are spoken of and the the flaming torches. and they're, they're, Basically, the idea is that the Spirit knows all. He sees all. He brings an exhaustive record of all that has taken place and does so for the purpose of making perfect judgment. The Spirit essentially knows all that man has done and therefore, therefore will bring all men to an account. So let me leave it at that. Because what you have at that point is that, I mean, just come back to that statement in Genesis 3 verse 8, the spirit of the day. Uh, this is the, the Lord who will bring all things to account by uh, the omniscience uh, of his spirit, the power of his spirit. And this is an idea that is uh, run through all the way to the book of Revelation. And uh, we'll talk, I think I'll just let this go over one more time uh, and uh finish it off on whatever Wednesday. But if you're interested, stay tuned and uh, we'll talk about that again tomorrow. Bless him.